time to down your unders. Down your unders. The Frontline Gaming Network brings to you Art of War. Down Under. Review and dissection of content from some of the sharpest minds in the game. Hosted by Adam Camilleri. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode 25 of the Art of War Down Under podcast. My name is Adam Camilleri. I'm joined by a pretty auspicious international man of mystery. Well, lack the mystery bit. International man. His name is Neil Kerr. He's the head referee of the WTC, the budgeting WTC, the newly born, newly formed, but uh, was a mainstay of the ETC and uh, the head referee there. He's a wonderful gentleman, formerly of Team Scotland. Is that correct, mate? That's correct, yeah. I was formerly Team Scotland, Team Scotland captain. But now a, a main state over in Sweden where he now has, resides. He's a very integral man in the uh, European meta and uh, a fantastic friend of myself, uh, of my own. I'm happy to be able to say that. So Neil Kerr, how you doing, my brother? I'm great, thanks. Thanks for having me on, Adam. It's been a while. That, ab- absolute pleasure to, to have you on and thank you so much for coming on. Now, today's episode is going to be a little interesting, a little different. We're going to be talking about the WTC. We're going to be talking about Teams events. I'm super, super high on Teams events at the moment. I feel like they are just the way I want to play the game and all my best and most enjoyable memories of the game of kind of the last kind of five years have come from Team events. So I really want to invest in there and get some more knowledge of there out and about. On top of that, we're going to be talking about kind of national flavors at the, at the international level. A lot of countries have kind of forged their own culture, forged their own way of playing teams events and their own flavor that comes with each nation i want to deep dive that with a man who knows more about it than possibly anybody and that of course uh, <laughs> mr neil kerr who's been involved uh for a very long time so we're going to talk about different countries and the ways in which they play the game the ways in which they bring different things to the wtc and wh- how they form their their teams and how they play and how they they show up and perform on the day on top of that we're going to unpack some ways and means of of forging a culture for your nation or for your or for your country for your town your state your whatever um and that's going to probably take place in part two but neil tell us a little bit about yourself where can people find you if they want to tune into some other things that you do hi so uh yeah i said my name's neil um to and head referee of the btc been involved in the etc since or was etc since 2009 so it's been a a long time now in that that, that international team tournament scene um so Sort of find me through WTC on Facebook, World Team Champion, World Team Championship, um, and we have our own podcast, the uh, WTC Squadcast, which you can find on pretty much all the um, you know podcast outlets out there. So that's that's the main places to find me. Otherwise, if you're ever in Gothenburg, you can hunt me down and grab me grab a beer with me sometime. Fantastic. And uh, one thing I will say about Neil is he's not joking when he says just hunt him down and grab a beer with him. Uh, he's one of the most open and welcoming gentlemen I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. Now. Internet. So the, the WTC. Firstly, tell us what it is. Tell the people out there what is it. Why should they care? So the WTC is the World Team Championships. Previously, it was the Euro-te- European Team Championships, and then the community that was part of the 40k, basically all the 40k teams, had a vote to decide if they wanted to sort of go it alone. And 96 percent. So it was all but two teams voted to go. So we've sort of gone alone, created our own thing now, which is the WTC. And why is it important? I mean, it's it's the idea of bringing the best players from different countries around the world together to duke it out at the highest possible level. And if you listen to people like, you know, Sean Nader, Brad Chester, and any of the guys who want to see America talking, they also, they say it all the time that it is the most competitive tournament in the world. There is no easy matches. There are no seals to club. You are playing the best player. You're playing essentially the best players from every single country that's represented there. 
every every game and every match you play up there is somewhere somewhere some other country's shark, like some other country's yeah. big fish. And so it's just an absolute quagmire of killers and i can't i can tell you it is it is such a thrill uh, having played twice hopefully playing some more in the future um it's what it's one of the most exciting things i've done kind of in my life but what makes the wtc special what sets it apart and tell, tell us a little bit about team format um tournaments yeah so i mean adam said you said this just before and i'll i'll say it and many people say it. personally team in terms of competitive 40k team for team play team format is the best form of competitive 40k because you're not just playing for yourself you're playing as a group you play for your mates you're playing to work you're working together and it creates an extra layer of tactics in you know a team is you normally play wcc is eight but eight people per team it could be five it could be six but you're matching mm. another team and then within that matching you then pair off and match your players against your opposition players. And there's a whole phase that goes into that. There's a whole there's insane amount of tactics just in the pairing off of players um, to create matches. You also want to create you want to create you want to create favorable matchups for your team and create unfavorable matchups for your opposition team. And then you go out and play. And you have, you know, a singles event, um, it's all about winning. It's all about maximizing points and winning. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas as a team event, I think one of the very interesting thing is you have very distinct types of players. You'll have players that are there to crush you. You know, they are the hammers. They are the guys that are going to go out there and take all the points for you. They are the attackers. Mm-hmm. And you'll have guys who are like the shields, the defenders. These are guys that are going to they're going to sort of like take the worst possible matchup for their team. They're going to go into the game knowing they're going to probably lose. But they're going to try to mitigate that loss as much as they can. And by taking that that tough matchup, it frees up better matches in the field for their team. And it's all that. It's all this sort of interplay of who's the defender, who's the attacker, you know. American football allows you to know you're a blocker. Are you a blocker or are you a running back? You know, rugby, are you, are you a prop or are you a winger? There's, yeah. it's, there's different, you know, everyone from that team will have a different function. And for your team to form, you have to be able to get that, those people into the right positions to do their job. What was your position when you were playing for, for Scotland? What, what was your role? I, I was very much the... Take whatever whatever match no one else wanted. <laughs> back when we you, the, back, you, you took the bus. <laughs> I, I threw myself under the bus a lot of the time because I was captain as well. Yeah, but back then, I mean, back then when I was playing for Scotland, we were about you know 2009 um, through to 2013. The Sc- Scotland was very much a fledgling team. There was very little competitive. I mean, there was one tournament in Scotland at the time. Um, so a lot of guys, so a lot of the guys we had were. People was like, "Are you Scottish? Yes. Have, can you come to Europe and play 40k? Yes. Yeah. I mean, there was there was a memorable one of one of one year. One of the guys, you know, absolutely amazing guys. They came year after year and they put time, money, and effort in, but they weren't. And how they even said they weren't competitive players, you know. And a great example I always use one of the guys, James, an absolute legend. He was playing orcs. He's an orc player. He's all player through and through. He's got Gaskell, and he doesn't realize that back then Gaskell could make his save vulnerable, invulnerable. Yep. And like one of my Swedish mates was watching, he goes, why don't you make Gazi save for two, two up invulnerable there? And he's like, I can make it invulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> so, so back, back then it's like, I mean, not, it was great. And it was loads of fun, but that's, but the ETC started like that. I mean, that's, that's, that's the thing as well to talk about maybe is that when the ETC started out, it was people getting together from around Europe to get drunk and play for OK. What it has evolved. Noble, noble beginnings. <laughs> yeah. And it was basically students. Everyone was kind of like yeah. students at that time. And what is involved into now is this ultra competitive tournament where, you know, everyone's playing for national pride. You know, 
people are mm. still drinking. People are very social. I mean, the social, like the social aspect, aspect of these is what brings people back year after year. But the gaming is much more important than it was at the start. You know, gone are the days mm. of, uh, of of both teams taking shots with each other before the match started and stuff like that. Now you just take shots after the match. Yeah, but, and at the same time, you talked about Team Scotland being, you know, essentially a, a, a lot like Team Australia was for many years, where we were just like, ah, oh, can you afford to attend the event? And do you play? Like, and, yeah. and okay, cool, you get, you get a spot. And now, like, you know, I, I remember the first, um, I, well, first one I went to, Team Scotland came third, which I think yeah, was the, the highest finish you guys have achieved, your, your nation has achieved. Um, yeah. Huge moment, huge moment for that team to, to be the ones to stand up that up on that podium and, and say, hey, you know, Team Scotland has arrived. Uh, phenomenally big, big deal. I mean, that's it. I mean, that's, that's taking, that's years and years of the guys going back year after year and the guys working hard in Scotland to mm. help us develop the Scottish competitive community. And I think that's one of the, the best sort of selling points of WTC, of, the, of this kind of, of team play regardless, is team tournaments build communities. That's just, I just, I just categorically say that if you want to, if you want to get a, your community and build a community up, running RTTs is great to get people into it, but to get people to stick to it. You, you play, we play this game, not for, it's not for fame or glory. It's not for money. Realistically, we play this because we enjoy this and mm. we want to play with our mates and the best. And so you want, so you want to play, play, set up a tournament that you can interact with your mates the mo- in the best possible way. And that's a team. Yeah. That's a team format you're interacting with your mates the whole time then and you build a re- you really build a strong community i know is it the guy the um normal blokes guys they're running a, to- a team tournament series now just for this reason to yep. sort of build up, build up the brisbane community and sort of really start lifting people lifting the quality of players in brisbane this is what team events do and that's and scotland is a great example of that i you know i was part of the scottish mm. team 2013 i moved to sweden so i left the scottish team at that point you know and i handed them a captaincy to uh, bernie Bernadley, who'd been in the team for two or three years at that point and he worked, built on it, built on it. And then obviously in there, some of people came as captains. And over that sort of like 10 years from when I sort of like, when Bernard and I became involved in 2012 to like you say in Serbia, you know, in Croatia, they went from being a middle, a best tier team to competing with the podiums. They're one of the best teams. And, it's, and it's, that's all about the community being built year after year because of the interest in WTC. Agreed. Now it's interesting to note that how how teams develop and how cultures develop around teams. Like having the, it's a weird thing for a bunch of nerds to have like national pride in your team, but it's a real thing. It's absolutely a real thing. Um, I remember when me and the the Australian team we were prepping for stuff and we would we would go to teams events and we'd wear our Australian jerseys and people would come up and say they were proud of us for for going over and trying to do our best. That kind of stuff is. So I can't tell you how uplifting it is to have the support of your your nation behind you. If something is silly, uh, we, uh, sorry, not silly. Something is freaking amazing. As, no, come uh, on, as come on. it's man. We're playing with man Barbies here, and in there we're playing we man are. Barbies. It's it is silly. When you get down to it, it's silly what we do. But yeah, but but we're passionate about it. And at the end mm. of the day, if if you maybe not, I mean, I'm a sports guy. I know you're a sports guy. And if you're into sports, nothing you get no more no more passion about sports when it comes to the national team. That's where they, that's what everyone's pure passion is, you know. Yeah. And this is and for us, 40k get for gamers. 40k is our sport. So why wouldn't we be incredibly passionate about how well mm. the national team does? Yeah, and something I want to point out to people, like like Neil said, this there, there's no there's no playing for money here. This is this is in fact you paying for the opportunity. Like, I, I yeah, tell you, I mean, I mean how, how much? Yeah, the, you guys, it costs you what ten thousand dollars or something. Yeah, it's a, it's a five figure commitment to to play from the WTC team. If you you have to be able to take the time off work, you have to be able to put in hours and 
possibly hours throughout the year to travel all over sometimes a very large country. I know the Americans have the same deal. Russians have the, the same issues and um, possibly a, a bunch of other nations having the steel of geography, keeping team members from practicing with each other or getting an appropriate amount of experience. And uh, it's a huge financial commitment, huge time commitment, and there's no money at the end of this. There's only one winner every year. There's only one winner of the WTC every year. And yet like there's tens of thousands of dollars uh, going into the opportunity. And um, the person who wins, they don't even get any money out of it it is literally just being able to put up your hand at the end and say and everyone in the room knows you were the best team that year and um it's more than enough for me i know it's more than enough for just about everybody else who's ever attended those things yeah i mean that's we we talked we actually talked just about that when we formed the wtc just about you know is there a reason to you know create a cash prize like the lvo has for example or like nova has and we said no there's never been a talk about it and to be honest you know we feel the prestige to be able to say you're the best team in the world is sufficient. Mm. And if you ask the guys who won it, they, they categorically agree. Absolutely. I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more myself either. No, I'm not saying no, I haven't won it either. <laughs> anyway, but uh, onto, onto some of the weird flavors. So there's, uh, there's, it's, there's types of playing the game that have become synonymous with certain nations and certain, certain metas. Um, like Poland, for example, is the most successful WT see um nation they've won it more and podiumed more than anybody else and on top of that they they have a from my from what i've heard they've got a a national circuit dedicated solely to earning a place on their on their team is that correct that's correct yeah quite a lot of teams have this in poland they have a national league um which is chaired and run by um dave who's one of the referees one of the head referees last year with me uh, the, the, the sort of the big the stocky polish referee it's safe and they've run this national league for forever, and what they and it's and it's you know tournaments or, or any tournament can become part of the league running it to a certain standard in terms of like terrain and you know numbers and stuff like this. And yeah, the and what they do is that league, the top three guys in that league, um, are in the team, and then what they have, and, and then what they also have on top of that, they have they have each year they elect a pair of national selectors. It's like two well-respected guys in the community, yep. guys who are really really good players. And they will then pick with the uh, with those three players. They will then and those and two selectors. They will pick the rest of the team based upon how people's people's performances within the league. So the mm. idea is you're and because from making it creating that league means that like you say you know you're having to travel from outside your hometown to play in these league tour. You have to you have to travel to a lot of tournaments, and that shows willingness. It shows commitment. And that's a great way yeah. to do it. You know, Sweden's the same. In Sweden, they have the same thing. We have a national ranking system. And basically, every year, the top three people in the ranking are, auto- are automatically selected to the team. And then they pick yeah. a captain. And it can be one of them, or it can be somebody outside, from outside. And they pick a captain. And then from that, those four guys then select the rest of the team. And it's, again, it's based off rankings. So it's like, you know, they have, they have to then pick the next two guys in the top 10, next two guys and work their way down. And a lot, of, it's a lot of nations do this. So they'll have they'll have sort of inbuilt rankings. The French have a, have a team tournament circuit where yeah. they, they 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 create teams and those teams play multiple tournaments. It's four or six tournaments over a year, and the best team from that circuit becomes the core DTC team, and then they get to then pick a couple of guys to complement them. You know, so it's there's a lot of, there's a lot of work. Like I say, for most for most WTC players, their entire year. A 40k is geared in some way, be it to getting mm. on the team, practicing for the event, or going to the event. Yeah, and it, I, I can tell you from experience, it really is. It does take a year of work to get there and to, to put on a good show once you arrive. But uh, in, in speaking about the ways and means that some 
uh, nations could you know build their team. What are considerations for when you build a team? Is it just take the eight biggest killers you can take? And I know you said you said you need some people who are willing to go under the bus. Uh, how many different ways are there to structure a team? And then low next below that, um, how do you go about building a, a a group of lists worth taking to a teams event because it's not like you can just take the eight best lists in the ITC rankings and just take those. Those aren't necessarily a good list for WTC. So that, that's absolutely it. I mean, you say you take the eight best players. So the, your first issue there. So if you take your eight best players, say in Australia, arms of the top four are all space room players. Only one of them can play yes. space. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, please explain why that's an issue because not everyone might know this. Yeah. Sorry. So at the WTC, you have eight. You have eight players in a team, and each team is limited to a maximum of one code of using the codex once in their team. So if one player uses a space uses codex space screens and or any of the supplements, no other player in that team can take codex space screens. Mm-hmm. So it actually, so it actually so it limits space screens to a flavor of space screens. Grey Knights obviously have their own separate codex; they're separate from that. But you're not you're not going to see more than one player with blood angels, white scars, etc. We one guy. With your, you know, your power armored loyalists, and there'll be and one, this, one guy with custodies, one guy with admech, one guy with uh, chaos demons, one guy with other. Mm. You, know, you can soup. You can obviously soup. I'm not saying you look players limited. Uh, one player's limited to one codex. You can soup, but you can never duplicate a codex across more than one player. So if I took if I took chaos demons, then you couldn't take chaos space screens allied with chaos demons. Exactly right. And it's never been a bigger deal than I think this the next one that comes up, whether that's 2021, 2022, or, or the future. But uh, how interesting is it that when the new Space Marines Codex has them all rolled in to one, and it's it's actually going to be a big deal for a lot of players. There's so many Space Marines specialists out there in the realms of Blood Angels, Space Wolves, uh, White Scars, Raven, you know, Salamanders, Raven Guard, all these specialists, and you're only going to get to take one. And it's it's actually going to be a, like a kind of a mad scramble to kind of differentiate yourself in your scene. I know in Australia, it's really important that we have uh, what we call faction mastery. It's actually more important for us to have faction mastery of something than um, than to be proficient in a bunch of other things, simply because of what you're saying. Like, um, you can only take one of them. You, you can be incredible at five different factions, but if we have faction masters that are on one of those factions, we're going to take that guy. Um, you know, if we have if you are great at orcs, space marines. And uh, Admech, but we have an incredible Orc player. We take the incredible Orc player because we know he can take this one faction and he's gonna, his scores into different armies are going to be better than yours across a line of a bunch of different ones. And I suppose that's where it differentiates. Like uh, I think in singles competition, there's this kind of accepted um, necessity to be fluid in the meta, especially one in, in the 8th edition that changed every other month. Um, to pick up the next hot thing. The next uh, new Curtis comes out, it's better than the rest. You gotta jump on it, otherwise you're gonna be left behind. Um WTC, not the case because you can't you can only take that hot that new hotness once. Yeah. But at the same time, I'd say for WTC, it is I think mean, you've got a balance there, because I do think that a lot of the teams, some of the best the best teams, I mean the American example, Bradchester. Bradchester's been on the American team. I think he only I think he came in Serbia in 2013. See, so he missed the first couple of times America was there. He was in Poland. Poland came in Poland. That was it. That was the first time I met Brad. Brad is sort of a master of all. He plays Eldar, he plays Marines, he plays he can make any army work. Because he did it, but he can dedicate himself. He's he's such an efficient player. He's not an absolute master at a particular army, but he's Better than than most people are at all armies, and so he mm-hmm. gives he gives the, he gives the team a flexibility there to say, well, we know we're going to lock in 
Sean Naden on uh, Harlequin Eldari. We know we're going to lock this person. You know, we, we know we're going to lock. Da, 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 da. Right. What other codexes is there? What's the meta looking like? Come sort of June, July. Right, Brad, you're going to run this. So you need exactly that, right. You, you do need a little bit of flexibility. So it's a balance there. Mm. And that's how, and I say that's when you're picking a team, you very much have to balance that out. You very much have to balance out. You know, let's like say you want your faction masters. You want you want the best Eldar player in your country. You want the best Marine player. You want the best. You want those guys. But then you also need some guys that can be flexible. You got some guys yeah. that, are, that can. Because end of the day, you're picking. You're probably going to be picking your team now. Like most teams will get picked over the next. Have already, either have been picked or going to get picked over the next month or two. But the events in August. So we don't know yep. what's going to come out between now and August. So you have to <laughs> you have to have a team, even if you're a faction master, you still have to be flexible enough to adapt your army. And equally, you probably need one or two guys that could potentially you know switch army entirely to pick up either be the new hotness or to create an answer for the new hotness. So I think very, yeah, so very, yeah, very well said. You look at like an 80, 20, 60, 40 mix there, depending on the teams. Mm. Well, so there's, there's always this, there are always certain types of lists. There's always certain factions that are kind of going to be evergreen in a team's environment. Things like guard, yeah, guard. guard I feel like is the um, the evergreen choice. There's always going to be a type of guard list that is going to be worth taking to a team's event. Either that's one that's stacked with massive amounts of armor, you know, leveraging toughness eight, where it's going to be leveraging 300 conscripts, whether it's going to be uh, leveraging just nothing but no line of sight shooting and you take a, a, a table with uh, heavy and dense terrain, you know, e.g. you're a put-up. I suppose we, we could unpack the, the pairings process quickly, but hell, we could do a whole episode yeah. just on the pairings <laughs> process. But uh, so, so just to break it down really quickly for you, so um, your captains will uh, essentially roll off, and then whichever one um, uh, wins wins the roll, they get to pick w- w- whether they're going to put up a player first or their opponent is. And let's yeah. say I, I've lost a roll, I'll put up one player, and I'll literally feed you a player, put up a player into the meat grinder, and then Neil will give me two options for which for for that player to play. And then me as the captain, I have to choose which of those two, or essentially which of the two I need that player to play to get the result for the team. Sometimes. That is that player taking the worst matchup because it's going to line up better for everybody else. Yeah. Sometimes that means trying to get that first guy into a great matchup, and um, then that'll line up everyone else as well. But that first guy that goes up gets to pick his table first. And uh, can, you explain, how the, can you explain yeah. how the terrain works for us? So the WT, so the WTC, we have a you, I mean, reasonably unique uh, table setup for every mission so each to each match is played on eight tables and on those eight tables there'll be two slightly heavier to more dense tables there'll be two slightly lighter tables and there'll be four like we'll say average level tables obviously nine fed we're playing around a lot of terrain we've just we've actually just given the captains a new set of uh, maps based off feedback because it's a real oh, really? balance act right now of what's too what is too much terrain what is too little terrain you know um, and that's something everyone because I'm not because no, no one's played enough games yet. That's still an issue. But the idea is there will be there will be variants of terrains. When I say light, I'm not talking planet bowling ball here. When I say mm. light, I mean I mean there'll be sort of six to eight large line of sight blocking kind of like uh, ruins, but there won't be much else there. Whereas a dense yeah. table will have sort of like eight, maybe nine line of sight blocking tables, plus woods, plus craters, plus so small barricades. So it'll be very dense in terms of the volume of terrain on the board. Mm-hmm. Um, so that obviously dictates, you know, you, if you've got a vehicle heavy army, you don't want to be going on a table that's got lots of clutter. 
moving on the table that's a bit more open for you being able to move around equally if a shoot a, a very shooty army you want to take you want to you want to try to get that table that's got fire lanes so as you say that yeah. whole pairing process you may create a this is where wtc you sometimes see what, what we call skew lists where there'll be a list that will take a certain aspect of that codex of that list to an extreme be it you know nine broadsides be it max their mm-hmm. castell and robots or stuff like this i'll take it to an extreme and then they'll put themselves up as a defender, knowing they can try to pick the table that will suit their yeah. extreme. Um, exactly so there's, right. There's, so there's a whole, like I said, there's 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 a whole layer of sort of strategy in, involved in the pairing process that at times can detect, can actually decide the, the result of that match before the game even starts. Because if you if you completely fluff your your pairings. It's hard. It's very hard to come back. You're basically just giving your your opponents, you know, for their favorable matchups everywhere. You're you're basically playing with the back foot from straight up, straight off. Yeah. So, yeah. Agreed. And so yeah, the, like this is this is why people love this because it is the deepest, most tactically insane way of playing the game. You, you can actually just give yourself an aneurysm thinking about the nuance of uh, the pairings process just by itself, and then trying to optimize your your methods of playing the game and the players you have available to you in order to make that pairing process go as well as possible. Um, let's talk about another nation, though. So we're going to inter- we're going to intersperse talking about you know different cultures of, of, of European nations and the way in which they play the game with bits and pieces about the WTC. So tell us a little bit about Scotland, where you come from. What what kind of flavour or culture have they adopted over time? Because like you said, they've gone from a, a team of relative obscurity, and over the past ten years, they've really turned into a bit of a powerhouse. They have. I would say, I, I mean, you can sort of lump Scotland with sort of like Wales and uh, England because they, they go play each other's tournaments all the time. Um, they, they, they do play they do play against you a lot. Um, I would say, and I'm going to get so many phone calls after this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say that, I would say that Scotland, the, the, say the British, in quotes, meta, is exemplified by this skewness, by this copy and paste. You know, you find something that works and you roll with it, you know, like... When I was speaking to Innes a while back, and he's raised Nid, Nid Army, there was Zoanthropes and Rippers. That was it. That was the whole army. It's like, yeah. it's like, yep. it's like Zoanthropes are rock solid, tons of Rippers just to make everyone's life a nightmare. And it's like, you know, these, like, you know, obviously Alex Harrison was famous for his uh, Max Eldar flyer list and stuff like that. Yep. So I think that there is an exemplifier of, like, you know, just find one fit by find what's that one unit that makes either that codex work or that list work and just go all in, you know, go all in on it. And mm. so, so they, they do create a, a lot of skew there, a lot of skew. That yeah. Way. And what that does in a team's environment, that puts a hell of a lot of pressure on the pairings, like a hell of a lot of pressure. Because as soon, as soon as you mess up that skew, it's already over. That game is already done. Because like, I can tell you from experience, when we played Team England for the, for the win at the last most recent WTC, um, they had a I, – I, I played Tau into their, I think it was 11 flyer list, 11 Eldar flyer list, and the flyers went first. And I was like, ah, cooked. <laughs> yeah. I'm done, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was still a, a heck of a game. It was a wonderful, wonderful gentleman I played against. But uh, that those kind of things occur. Yeah, um, I I mean, we that... we tried to go. No, no, sorry, you go. Um, uh, Team Australia, we tried to replicate the same thing. We took three shadow swords, which people hadn't heard of in ages. But then every game, we you know, this is people tell our captain doing similar to what you were doing, putting himself under the bus. Taking a bad matchup, taking a light table away because our, our skew, the skew of our team was that we all kind of wanted some level of terrain. And then he would just be like, okay, cool. If I four up you, my three shadow swords can just go hot and I'll win the game because you can't hide. 
And, you know, and, and that was just a, a risk the opponent had to take. And it was really powerful. It really made some people squirm. Yeah, yeah I remember walking by one game and you, and you, got, you guys have paired him into, um, oh, I think it was Jeff from uh, Team Canada. And yeah, the, the Gullyman and um, what was it? Oh, I forgot the name. What, what's the Primaris heavy tank called again? The, the super hog, heavy the or the repulsor? The repulsor, yeah. It was like into three or four, it was like into three repulsors of Gullyman. And I think Pete got the yeah. first turn, just nuked all three repulsors turn one, and Gullyman was hiding in the corner for the rest of the game while he's <laughs> trying to sort of, to sort of roll, <laughs> literally rolling up the up the field to charge Gullyman. Yeah, so, yeah. It's, it's hilarious. Some like some of these games at the top level can just be decided on a four plus. Yeah, and that's how it goes because sorry. No, I was going to say, absolutely. I think I said that. I think, I think like, you can exemplify a lot of teams like how, you know, do they take a lot of skew? Do they take a lot of, you know, this? And mm. I think British teams, especially that, they generally are, you know, what can I say? I, you know, talk to my friends, like people that I've seen in Poland that British, the British list, the Scottish list, they're generally, you know, qualified by you're expecting lots of skew, you're expecting lots of really yeah. brutal, either like really brutal alpha strike or mm. just like a, a bullshit to shift army, be it like, you know, the 200 <laughs> bearers, the 300 gores, yeah. like those kind of like lists. It's just, it's, it's going to be one or the other. It's going to be a list that just kills the game because it's just like so much stuff to deal with. You can't deal with it. Or it's hmm. just like, you say, if I get the right matchup, I will win list. And it's, it's, yeah. it's a bit of a gamble. It is a big gamble, but like you say, it puts pressure. It puts pressure on the opposition as well, because the opposition is sitting there panicking as well. Like, how do we answer this? Mm. So, can we answer all these skew lists, kind of thing? It's a it's a confidence play, isn't it? It's saying it's saying that you have confidence in your pair, your pairing, your captain to in order to to, to wield these tools appropriately, because these are tools that are only built for a single purpose. They're, they're single purpose lists. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it shows a lot of confidence in the pairings, and that, that you can you can back your captain to to wield you appropriately. And I think that's pretty interesting. That um, it certainly paid off for them for them in their last uh, the last couple. Uh, did, Team England did they come second in the year previous? I know the, I think they hit a podium or they were in top five the year prior to winning. And I feel like that's uh, a little bit of a trend because not the year pre- not the year previous because the year previous was Croatia and that was America first, Denmark second, um, Scotland third. Um, ah, okay. Yep. Uh, and pr- prior to that, now we're into Spain, and I can't remember. That's too far. That's, That's too long ago. Spain, <laughs> France, many, Russia, I can't remember who was there. How many years has the WTC been been running for those out there? So the WTC started in 2006. That was fantasy only, basically. A bunch of guys in Poland... Poland's got a very strong fantasy scene as well. And mm. they, were, they were fed up playing each other, basically. And it was new opponents. So they went on to what was back then, the, the Warhammer Forum, TWF. Um, I don't think it exists anymore. And they basically put, put up a challenge saying, hey, anyone want to come to Poland and play play some Warhammer? And it's like, I think like the Danes and a couple of other people went over and they played Warhammer for a weekend. And then the next year, so let's do the same thing. But then the Polish 40k guys were like, hey, we want to play we want to play 40k. So the call was made and, you know, people showed up. Team England famously went then. I wasn't there. Um, but people like Gaz Jones, who's now the Welsh captain, he went with a bunch of with a bunch of other guys, mostly from Manchester, my old gaming club. They came yep. 11 out of 10 teams because the yep. teams, Slovenia, Slovenia or Slovakia, they went home after day one and still Team England did worse than them. But it was like you know, but I was like, but, but I was like, you know, these guys went over there and they spent the entire week. They, they they literally arrived in Poland on the Friday, left on the Monday, didn't sleep the entire weekend, just drank constantly. Jesus. <laughs> so, but, but the, so the first, so the first forty k ETC was two thousand seven, 
And, you know, since then, it's been in, like, Italy, Germany, Switzerland, Poland against Serbia, Czech Republic, Greece, Spain, Croatia. It's been all over the place. Obviously, last obviously last year there wasn't last year it is last year it's 2021 now there wasn't any yeah, yeah. we were going to be in Austria and the hope is to be in Austria this year fantastic we're going to take a commercial break at, at that point we're about halfway through this bad boy um, you've got some amazing people doing marketing through the Frontline Gaming Network hopefully you'll stick with us hopefully you're finding us engaging we're going to come back we're going to talk a bit about some national matters and a bit more about the WTC as a whole so see you then This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. And we are back. Neil is still here. Hello, my man. I'm doing good, mate. Yeah, good, good, good. Tell us a little bit about um, France. So France is a really is a, is a well, very well known uh, 40k nation. How, what's their kind of flavor? How are they are they kind of structured as a team and as a nation? So France, France, France are one of the powerhouses of the mm. WTC, but they haven't won it that often. But they are always contending. Um, France builds has a as I alluded to earlier in the episode. France selects its team through a series of team events. So they have a they have, yeah. a, they have, a, they have a league, they have a circuit that runs throughout the year, and that is used to pick the French team. So team team play in France is a big deal, and um, because of that, from what I believe, you know, a lot of the um, as you find with a lot of people who play in the, in the WTC, they will take ideas or lists they're using to single events. So this the French tournament scene is heavily influenced by. The WTC, and it is, an, and it is an incredibly prestigious thing to get onto the WC team. I mean, like last year, although two years ago, sorry, in Serbia, you know, the French the Warhammer TV, the French Warhammer TV YouTube channel, mm. the, biggest, the biggest 40k YouTube channel in the world, showed up. Like you know, and these guys are like full, like news crew, like to yeah, do, it was to intense. Order. You know, and that's and that shows the level of not just commitment to what you're hearing, the commitment to WTC. You know, these guys are going over there on their own pocket, on their own money. This this TV, this YouTube crew, to do this, to film this. Um, so they they are very they are so into team play in that sense, and they're so interested in it. Um, I say their list in terms of like the list they play. I'm gonna have like I'm gonna have a Junker Matteo call me up straight away on this. I would say normally you expect the French to bring. I'm not going to say hordes, not necessarily hordes, but they will bring big armies. They don't mm. often play with small elite forces. They like redundancy in numbers. So you'll see very, very beautiful armies as well. The French normally are one of the teams that, you know, France, Scotland, and Romania are three, three nations that take a lot of pride in their uh, painting. And they normally, it's one of those three that's vying for the, the best painted army, the best painted team even. Mm. Um, so you have these wonderfully, beautifully crafted armies, a very, very Big, so they have a lot of redundancy, and because they have a lot of redundancy, they have a lot of a lot of skill, a lot of, and a lot of opportunity to leverage objectives, yeah. leverage situations, which plays fantastically into you know I expect nothing but the same now in nine because knife is all about objective leverage and ball position. So I very much see that style of play continue with them. Yeah, well, I, the team Australia, we played France. Um, 
in 2019. And yeah, the arms were gorgeous. I played against a beautifully painted um as Beltan's the green craft world, isn't it? Yeah. I played yeah. as a beautifully painted um Beltan army. Beat me by a couple of points. It was a really good game. It was a lovely, lovely gentleman as well. And um fantastic round. They were they were fantastic opponents opponents. Um but yeah, interesting how you see that that uh, some nations take more pride in their hobby than others. Do you want to name and shame? Who's the nation that gives the less the least amount of shits about their hobby? I'll say Wales because Tom Layton's on that team, and, and anyone who's <laughs> ever ever been on Twitter knows about knows about the uh, the, Chris, the crystal uh, met guns and all that bullshit. But oh, no, I mean, there, I mean, there, there are it's hard because there are teams that I'm not saying so. I'm, I'm not going to still say like people don't give a shit about their models because they do. But what happened? Because they do. But what happens is that sometimes you'll have a certain type of army that's going to be used at WTC that's only going to be used at WTC. So a good example yeah. was, yep. was two two years ago with those those uh, triple uh, Tesseract vault lists floating around. Mm. You know who is going to use three Tesseract vaults in a singles event? No one is ever yeah. going to use that. So like one of the Swedes took it and it was just you know it was just he just basically borrowed three Tesseract vaults from three different people because like he's not going to buy them, build them, paint them himself at one event. So exactly there is right. a bit, there is a bit of balance. You know, you see these people that take these extreme mech gun lists where they've got like thirty mech guns. They're probably never going to use thirty mech guns. So it'll be either be borrowed or it'll be sort of painted to the absolute bare minimum to be made off later. So there is a little bit of that, um, which is unfortunate because I do like to, I mean like everybody you do like to see nice painted armies on the on the tables, but you've got to there's, there's the end of the day is it there has got to be sort of an acceptance that some people will go to the bare minimum and it is a gaming tournament at the end of the day so Brian's stuff is painted you know, it's about already standard that's fine for GW it's fine for us as well yeah it will be accepted um Interesting you said about the, the French team being kind of synonymous with taking larger armies, as in um, they always want to have an opportunity to score, because that, that really does change a lot of uh, metrics when people score into them, when people say, oh, okay, I'll get X, X score, Y score, because um, in the WTC, like you'll always put in the data for what you predict to score against somebody um, in certain matchups, and therefore that's the information that your your captain, your pairings coach will use in order to, to try and leverage and get you the best possible outcome best possible matchup now by taking a lot of a lot of models i think that what they're doing is trying to limit margins like they're trying to take away big swings in the scores i can certainly oh, see why that would be appealing that's something that I, I certainly put a lot of time into as well absolutely i 100 I think that's what they do there i think that's a really core idea so i think that they they're, they're preventing big swings they're opening up their lists a lot more. They're going more towards an all-comers, more towards like a Swiss Army knife approach. And yep. then, and then and by doing this, you know, they're, they're relying more heavily on the player skill. And it, it's quite simple to say their player skill is phenomenal. You know, you've got guys, yeah. like, you've got guys like Juncker, Mathieu, who is like, I mean, if I remember rightly, he's won the singles event three or four times. And the, single, mm. people don't know, the singles event is the two days before the WTC happens, we run a singles tournament at WTC. And you will have 100 to 200 players who basically play in the WTC or do play a singles tour as well. So you've got the best players from most of the teams playing in a singles tour as well, which is incredibly hardcore. You know, it's, it's you, yeah. you've got you've got I mean, you tournaments. You've got you know Nick Nalavati, Manny Chima. It's like it's like this. It's like it's like if the LVO top eight was expanded to be 100 people. It's kind of like that brutality. Yeah. Um, and you know the French always use it as a warm up, and they always do exceptionally well at that event. You know these guys are brilliant, and this is an interesting thing though because people, most people like French. I know about French, French will have it, but it's because they don't. Because obviously it's in France, it's not English speaking, so it's actually mm-hmm. hard to access. It's in the, the Spanish. The, the Spanish have the biggest 40 community outside America. The biggest 40 community in the world is in Spain. 
They run the biggest team tournament in the world. And they run the second biggest singles tournament in the world. They have a team tournament with like 600 people playing in it or something insane like that. You know, yeah, it's intense. Because it's all in Spanish, all their media is in Spanish, no one, none of us hear about it unless you're in the know. So yeah, so the French are an absolute workhorse of a nation. They mm. are one, they're one of those teams. If you're if you're going to the WCC to to aspirations of winning, you are planning what you're going to do against the French. You're practicing against those French lists. Yeah, and it was interesting. Off uh, before we started, I asked you about Spain. I'm like, can we actually talk about Spain at all? Because it's such an interesting nation as a, a 40k community. And I'm just like, oh, <laughs> everything they do is in Spanish. I've got no idea. I don't want to know any what we can talk about. Yeah, uh, we, we can, but, uh, we can, but it's hard. Cause it's 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 hard because it's just a language barrier. Like I know I know the French guys. Um, you know, I've hmm. been I've been in into France playing tournaments. You know, they they travel quite regularly to tournaments outside of France as well. They go to the Winter Team Championships a few other events. So I know them really well. The Spanish guys, I don't know some of the Spanish guys, but there's a language barrier there that you know. Yeah. In, so a lot of Spanish guys do not have English as a language at all, where it be you know a strong or even even whatsoever, and it does create a bit of a barrier. So there is is sort of a little bit of a black hole. Um, you know, I know these guys these guys every year. But I couldn't tell you anything about them <laughs> because it's just mm. it's, hard, it's, it's, hard, it's just hard to find information. Right, same with the Italians. I love the Italians. I've got some very very good friends in Italy, uh, like Daniela. And but again, the Italian scene—it's just unless you want to spend a lot of time painstakingly hitting Google Translate, you're not going to ever find anything out, unfortunately. Tell us a little bit about uh, Sweden. Tell us a little bit about the, the ways uh, Sweden functions and uh, what they're kind of known for as a nation. Because that's where you, how long have you lived in Sweden now? So I've been in Sweden for eight years now. I came here in 2012. Ah, you'll tell you better tell us all about it then. Yeah. So I mean, Sweden, <laughs> Sweden, like, um, I mean, actually, you could sort of, when I say Sweden, you could talk about Sweden the same way you could talk about Finland and Denmark and that, you know, the other Scandinavian countries. You know, Sweden is a really small country population wise. There's, you know, 10 mm. million people live here. But yes, yeah, Sweden's always, Sweden, it's always playing for a podium, a potential podium position. They're, yeah, always, they're like a minimum. They're like a minimum upper middle. Yeah, they are. There are very few years that are not contending for podium positions. You know, they, yeah. Because even though it's a small country and therefore we have a very small community, there's a very dedicated community here. I mean, we have. I would say we probably have about forty, about thirty, forty. So, like, we'll say dedicated tournament players that go to every single tournament they can go to. And I have a community maybe like 120, 150 to all the players in general. And these yep. guys travel the length and breadth of Sweden, which can be quite far actually. You know, there's a tournament mm. up in there, Open Umeå called Fantasia, which has been going for like 20 something years. And that's just outside the Arctic Circle. You know, and for me to take me, me to take the train from Gothenburg to Umeå is going to take me a day. You know, it's, it's, oh, I'm, I'm going yep. to I'm gonna have to fly to Stockholm and change in Stockholm to get there. It's 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 a big country in terms of distance. It's quite a big in terms of Europe size of countries in Europe. It's actually quite big. Obviously, not as big as Australia and stuff, but it is still a trek. And these guys will make that effort. They will travel. It's like they will travel to the events in Stockholm, Gothenburg, Malmo. You know, they go to all these big tournaments. So, and there generally is a a large competitive tournament. When I say large, I say sort of sixty to hundred player tournament every second month here. So there's a very That's- healthy competitive scene. And this, like I said, it's this core of tournament players who I met off some part of them. They're very good friends that do almost every single tournament. So it's a really intense sort of like a scene in that sense. But it's also great because everybody knows each other and it's just so relaxed for that reason. Mm. There is, I, mean, we talk, I talked about Daniel, the captain, a while ago. We were talking about this and that. I think I can't remember what, what latest intro, internet controversy had happened. And we're saying, do you know what? 
have we ever needed to like even like give somebody a warning in Sweden at tournaments, let alone yellow card them or red card them? And he's like, no, it just doesn't happen. If you, there are people don't Brilliant. do it. If somebody, yeah, people might act like douches, act like dicks. But the problem is, if they do that. They're going to find themselves not being included in, not being included in the conversation, so to speak. When everyone else is like, oh, let's go to the pub after this game. Let's go out for drinks and stuff. They're not going to get invited. Mm. If, you're, if you're a dick, you're not going to get invited. So, and you, again, you go to you go to tournaments because to, most people go to these tournaments to be social. So, if you want to be social, you have to play a certain way. I think it's great. Yeah, you have to conduct yourself in a manner. If you want to be part of a community, you have to, you know, meet the standards of that community. You can't just, you know, yeah, exactly right. Um, but it's an interesting relationship that the states have with Sweden. You want to, you want to unpack that a little bit? Tell us about that little partnership they do every year. Yeah. So again, the Swedes Swedes have travelled. It was a Depsicon, was a regular part of the Swedish for the, for the Swedish. Um, a lot of top Swedish players go to Depsicon year after year. And they go yep. over there, they play there. And through that, they became very, very close friends with quite people like Brad Chester, um, Alan Abramovich, p- p- Pajama Pants, that Greg, Greg Sparks used to be your captain. They became very, very close friends with them. You know, these, these, the Swedes were, at the time, I believe, the only Europeans going to Adepticon for a long time, coming over. And, wow. so they, made a, and they made a real name for themselves. You've got people like Joachim, uh, who my friend here in Gothenburg, who actually placed, I think it was like three years in a row, he got into the final eight at Adepticon, you know. So it wasn't just they were going over. Cool. Everyone's smashed. They're also going over and playing really well. So they made a re- they made a lot of very good friends. And when the Americans decided to start coming to the WTC, ETC, it was then the Swedes, um, specifically Daniel, who who is now the captain again, and he lives in Stockholm. Has a nice big house in Stockholm, and there's another guy called Henrik Lampian who also lives near. Daniel has a big summer house out on the islands, and they basically said, "Well, if you guys are coming over to Europe for sort of like two weeks, because Americans like you, like Australians, uh, you, you make it a holiday, you go for, not for the tour, but you go for a, a holiday. They said, why don't you come visit Sweden for a few days? And so a bunch of Americans, oh, that sounds nice, go to Sweden for a few days, you know, Swedish, some, out in the Swedish countryside. They did it, loved it, and they now come back every year. And it's now become like an unofficial sort of boot camp. Because obviously, yeah. For Team America, a lot of the Americans, because they live so far apart, because they live on, you know, you've got guys on the East and West Coast all over the place, they might not actually have had an opportunity to practice together all year long. So they do use the sweet, they do come to Sweden and use that as a mini boot camp to sort of eat, get some, get some guys to play against that are different and sort of like yep. practice a few lists. And yeah. And on, on top of that, it is actually a bit of a culture shock. I remember my first um, exposure to the WTC. I went over, yeah. in uh, 2018 played in the singles, played in the event. It's a very different meta. It's a very different environment. If you are not, if you haven't been exposed to the European meta before, if you're coming from, you know, the states, uh, Australia, one of these um, off the beaten track kind of non-European central nations, it's a very different environment to play 40k. And it's actually really good to get some exposure to the European meta prior to playing in this event you've been prepping for for a bloody year. You know? Yeah, I'm absolutely. Especially previously when ITC was so big um, in America and Australia. I mean, ITC. Was, was getting bigger in Europe, but still, I think the WTC format was the number one format over here. And they were very yeah. different formats. So, what would be quite interesting actually be when we hopefully are in Austria in August and everyone's playing the same kind of 40K. If that, if those differences will be as marked or not, that'll be quite interesting. I think. Yeah, exactly right. Because, I mean, that was a big deal. We um, In Australia, we would play kind of 50 50 i know in victoria we played more itc than uh, etc but etc was still like you know every 
third event would be um, would be ETC format. So it was never that far away. But yeah, it was an absolute difference. You could tell the difference between the guys who played nothing but that format and the people who played more than played um, you know back and forward between or just um, ITC. It, it was different. It was really different, especially when we were using damn Maelstrom cards, man. God, I'm so happy they're gone. But uh, yeah, I, it was I, a culture I, I like shock. Maelstrom cards. I liked I I liked, do, I do, I liked the I, build your own deck Maelstrom. Just to quantify that, yes. I didn't like the full deck. I like yes, the build your own deck Maelstrom because I like the fact that it made you. It's like okay, I've got a card now. I've got to make a decision: risk, risk or reward. Do I go out to a G? Is this is it worth me doing this card or not? You know, there's that risk reward factor that 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 that's the thing that made you have to adapt your plans sometimes. Because mm-hmm. I was always my, I was always my gripe with, with ITC, and it is a little bit my gripe with uh, the current missions as well. Is that you can design lists that play that you know that you know are going to score X in every game, and your yeah your game yeah. plan is largely not changed regardless of what you're meeting across the table. I mean, Vern, Werner Born famously sort of like pumped out a list to show everybody it was like a like it was like a Nurgle list, Death Guard, that's like Lightroom and Terminators and stuff. This is for ITC, and he was like, I he's literally said, I literally don't give a shit who I play against. I know what I'm scoring. <laughs> it's like yeah I mean we're certainly not there yet but I do have this fear that the current um, mission set is going to get just a very it's, it's going to get a bit dull it's going to get a bit samey I mean yeah. it already is technically because I, every, every opponent I play I'm like okay so what's your what's your third secondary because your first two is going to be engage in scramblers um, you know um, or, so, or, engage, or engage in banners if you've gone for you know, a less mobile if, army yeah, exactly right. If you're like, you know, Death Guard, you know, you're not taking Scramble, you're taking Banners, or you're taking uh, While We Stand, you know? Um, yeah. There's your there's your four that are going to be picked pretty much unanimously. Unless you're Space Marines, in which case you pick Oath every bloody time. And yuck. Yuck, yuck, yeah. yuck. But uh, it's an interesting thing to discuss. Now, what is what is a nation that you that you want to talk about that you have a bit of knowledge about actually no actually no no, no let's save it for part two oh, I, want a, I want a juicy i want to okay, okay, finish for the swedes then <laughs> are we finished with the swedes or have I you don't know. Divulge? no i was just going to say just in general i think i'm talking about why not just Swedes, about the scandinavians in general that all like you know denmark denmark is even smaller than sweden but denmark yeah. denmark again has podium multiple times at the wcc yep. finland is even smaller and Finland are always competing. You know, there is a there is a thing to be said, and again, this comes back to what we talked about right at the very start of the of the um, episode. That these are countries that you know, gaming is a big deal to them. You know, there's always been counterculture has been an accepted thing in here. But all these te- all these countries have really, really embraced the WTC and team tournaments. They have team tournaments in there. You know, there's the Swedish team championships. The Danish use a team tournament to pick their team. The Finns have team tournaments, and that's really become a great part of the of the actual community. And from that, they've built such a strong community. So you're saying like, that you know, the, a, a tight night, sorry, a small tight knit community can go a very long way with uh, something even as big and as absolutely essentially player driven. Yeah, I, I yeah. absolutely, I absolutely think that. I think, I think it's it is not a foregone thing to say that you know the UK, France, England, you know, are going to be the winners because they're the biggest communities. I think that sometimes the big communities work against you because you know, America, it's or even for you guys in Australia, it's hard to bring people together. So I say, so I just say very much. Quite a, oh, sorry, <laughs> we keep going to rock. <laughs> We do. Uh, there's a bit of dilution that can occur, um, and on top of that, it was something I was going to talk about. Maybe we'll we'll, um, we'll round the, this discussion. Actually, so let's finish with Sweden. What is Sweden's kind of list flavor? What, how do they kind of operate their lists or their structure their teams? Do you think? 
All come. Um, I would say very much a look to more all comer lists. They have in the past flirted with more skewy lists, but they've kind of come full circle back to, you know, play play the list you play at a single tournament. Rather, rather than play a WTC specific list, because the list you play at a single tournament, because again, these guys go to so many tournaments inside and outside mm. of Sweden. That's going to be the list you're going to be playing week in, week out, at home, week in, because you want to, and that the tournaments you're going to, so you can get the most practice with it. So it's very much there. That's very much the kind of list they use. They're very much more, you know, all comers and stuff. They do normally throw like one or two interesting lists in the mix, like one or two things that make people say, huh? For example, famously, like, like, yeah, like in Serbia, uh, Sweden played America, and the Swedish cult player got matched against their uh, Juice, the American cult player. And Kala, mm-hmm. the Swedish player, is like, has his list, and Juice is like, what is this? Like, what are these things here? And Kala's like, <laughs> I'm going to get 20 nil from you now. Thank you very much. And he proceeds yeah, to, really just to floor Juice. It's like, yes, I have a list that's slightly different, and therefore. Yeah, I, lo- I love that a lot, actually. Um, so. I want a juicy WTC story from you, if that's cool. I know there's a lot of stories that go down at WTC. There's a lot of controversies at times. I want a, a juicy one that doesn't, hopefully doesn't drag any nation through the mud. Doesn't drag any nation through the mud. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, this, this actually popped up on Facebook last night. Um, so it was actually quite funny. So if going all the way back to 2009, I think we're talking about 4th ed, 40k here, maybe 5th ed. So there's, a, there's an internet, there's a photo on the internet for years of a picture of a French dude squatting down beside a table with his thumbs up and a Russian dude bending over looking at a codex for referee. Uh, and uh, on the table is the crew wall. And there's on the table, there's a line of crew. And the story is this, that the Russian guy played uh, White Scar, more bikerless. The French guy played Tau. And the White Scar player Basically, says his tactic every game was, I will reserve my entire army. Because back then, you could do that. You could have all your entire yep. army off the board. And so the Russians so Russia said, I'll do that. Because it basically means that the, the opposition player can't do anything. He can't hmm. he can't do anything against this mobile army. So come on and out for him. But the French, but the French, being the kind of people they were, they planned for this. And so the French, the, the French guy was like, oh, you're going to reserve everything. He's like, yeah. yeah. He goes, okay, you, you know, I've, you know, you see my army list. And the Russian guy's like, yes, I've seen your army list. He's like, you know, I've got crews. The Russian guy's like, yeah, I know you've got crews. What's the problem? And you're going to reserve. Yes, I'm going to reserve. Okay. Deployment phase, crews. I'll infiltrate them. And since there's no model, and back then you could, you could infiltrate into people's deployment zones, providing it come within nine inch when running model. Oh, there are no models on the table. So I'll deploy across the entire, across the entire long table, your long table edge. Which means your bikes can now not come on the table because they can't drive through your crew to get onto the table. Yep. Game over. Game over. And Game it was over. like it was done like that, and it was brilliant. And it's it's become a photo. It's become a meme. Yes, and it was brilliant. <laughs> such a good Russian, meme. Uh, that that photo was actually staged. The Russian guy was like, "What?" And he realized what he'd done. And they they made a little joke and they immediately staged the photos. But the, but what makes it even more brilliant is that so this happened, and then people are like, "Oh, like what an idiot!" And one particular person was Jan from uh, Northern Ireland, the, the big Polish guy who Northern Ireland every year. Um, always carries a cabbage around you. We've definitely seen him, Adam. And the <laughs> other time, I have the cabbage guy. I know the Yeah, Wilson, the cabbage. And so Jan was like, what a fucking idiot. What idiot would, would do this? I mean, we have an absolute Muppets fall for this trick. Next year in Germany, Jan is playing a killer can orc list and he's playing against Tau and he goes, oh, but door. If I go second, I'm going to get shot off. I'll reserve my whole army. And Damn. the tower guy goes, really? Okay, Croot. 
<laughs> Bam. God, yeah. <laughs> yeah, was just like, so that became the real me. I was like, yeah, what, what was it you said on the on the forum? Oh, yeah. You'd have to be a what? To, to, all right, yeah. So that, and it even happened the year after. It happened three years in a row. <laughs> That's, That's even the sweetest one. I love it's that. Even more brilliant. The, the, when we, in Switzerland the year after, Team Scotland were playing Team Denmark. And one of my lads, Paul Burke, playing for Team Scotland, did exactly the same thing for the Danes. It's just it's so funny that the, the, this is like a, this is like such a, a what the moment that hmm. on the internet was exploded as everyone's going oh what an asshole to pull that trick but who was everyone from the, uh, the EC community was like oh it's a brilliant trick it's hilarious even his opponents thought it was a great trick but yeah but the fact that it would happen such a well documented thing would still happen three times in a row just shows that people never learn absolutely and uh, the, yeah in the heat of the moment those things can be so far from your consciousness you just don't yeah. see it coming. Absolutely. Um, but we're going to, at the opportunity, we're going to take this opportunity to uh, wrap this half of things up. If you want the juicy ones, because the stories that might, you know, drag people through the mud, they'll be over on part two. I, I don't want to put them out <laughs> for general consumption, uh, just in case it goes a little bit too far or, you know, Neil lets one out. But uh, anything you want to tell us about on the way out, dude, anything you want to spruik or anything upcoming for the WTC that people can keep their eyes out for or look forward to? Um, upcoming, I mean, the main thing is, we said we just we just sort of done a revision of the, our terrain maps, which are now with the captains and the teams. They're going to have a look at it and sort of like give feedback on the new revisions. So there yep. may so there may well be some tweaks coming out on the on the sort of our idea of terrain maps. Um, probably by the end of the probably by the end of Feb. Again, given that people aren't playing that much, let's give people more time to obviously break them down. Mm. Um, otherwise, I mean, for just to sort of shamelessly plug my podcast, uh, WTC Squadcast, <laughs> we're actually, but we're actually going to be doing a series of episodes. Um, looking at some uh, scrims because the the French, the Poles, the English, Scots, Welsh are all playing scrims against each other now on TTS. And so me and Tom Layton are going to be doing some uh, list analysis, um, matchup analysis of those. So that'll be quite interesting. That is really interesting. I'll, I'll be very keen to touch base with you following that and just see what the go is. But uh, hopefully you guys have enjoyed that. We're going to continue our, our uh, journey through some of the different flavors of uh national play out there notably we're going to be talking about touching on the russians in part two and there's a lot to unpack there because we don't know a hell of a lot but we about how they structure their team or how they pick their team but we know a hell of a lot of how they rock up on the day and it's it's they're one of the most interesting um national sides i, I can definitely tell you that and not without controversy of course but uh yeah to join us over on part two if you are interested in finding part two you can find it over on Patreon at Art of War underscore down under. You will find us there, or you can find us on the a brand new, oh, couple month or two old, um, the Art of War 40K new website. And you can buy our podcast, this one, and the uh, Art of War regular one with uh, John Damaris and Nick Nardavati for a nice lump, lump sum and save a couple of bucks on each. So hopefully you'll join us over there. And Neil. Dude, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your candor. And yeah. uh, you're such a joy to engage with and your knowledge is intense. And you talk almost as fast as you talk almost as fast as I do. So maybe people will have to listen to this on half speed. <laughs> well, that's, I know that's why I'm just happy to be on, is honest thing. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, mate. Thank you so much, dude. Anyway, we'll see you on the other side, guys. Take care and hope you're staying safe out there. Bye. Thank you for listening to Art of War Down Under, a content review podcast for Warhammer 40K.
Hosted by Adam Camilleri. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Enjoyed the show? Want your lists reviewed and the content you heard put into practice? Sign up to our Patreon and connect with us online or on Facebook. Just search for Art of War down under. Signing out from tomorrow.